Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we see the disciples had gathered. We looked at last week. They were in Galilee. It was in that space that Jesus restored Peter and called him again to lead the church and as they were in Galilee, towards basically the end of Jesus' time after being resurrected, they go to the mount, um, and Jesus is ascending there. But the big idea of what we're wanting to take from this is that ultimately, God is a God on a mission. He's on the mission of redeeming humanity, recon- reconciling us to himself and to one another. And it culminates in Jesus continuing this mission of redemption. We see it throughout the Old Testament. Jesus comes. He's the culmination of this mission of redeeming the world, and it, and it culminates with his life, death, resurrection, um, and all of that. The idea of reconciliation is a robust theme throughout Scripture. And with that, we see and understand that since Jesus was on God's mission, that Jesus was ultimately a missionary, And in this text, we're seeing today that we are all then being called to missions, missionary. And and I think that the reason why I wanted to spend time on this is that often I've, most of the time this is referred to as foreign missions, which is very good. But I would say that it's talking about all of life mission. And so we are then being called to missionaries as well. And so Jesus is calling all of the disciples. So let's look at a few of these elements today. First, we have go into all the world. Now, if we were to read Acts chapter 1, which I'll do that, we see that there was a lot going on right before Jesus ascended to heaven. There was a lot of questions. I think it's hilarious that that even in the midst of everything going on and everything Jesus was showing them, like even in Matthew, it says, and some doubted. Like, he rose from the dead. He provided food. Like, he's doing all this stuff, and he's, they're still going like, I don't know, man, like, right? There was still a ton of confusion. I think Acts 1, 6-8 really sums up the attitude and what was going on. It says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed upon his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So even after the resurrection, they're going, so are, are you doing the take over the Rome thing now? Are, are we, is the battle happening? Like, makes your resurrected body can appear and disappear. It might be, you know, like who knows what they were thinking. But there was still this idea that the Messiah had to restore a physical, political, military kingdom in the geographical area of Israel at this moment. And so there was still a lot of confusion. They were still waiting on, on all that. And Jesus' response to them is like, listen, he didn't say it's not going to happen. He just said, You're, it's not for you to know when this is going down. But the focus I want you guys on, what I want you emphasizing, what I want you looking at, what I want your efforts going towards is being my witnesses in Judea, and, or Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what he wanted the emphasis to be. 
that God's design ultimately for kingdom growth wasn't military conquering, but it was this idea that his followers would reflect and proclaim Jesus, who he was, what he came to do, and what, his, what the ultimate goal of God's redemption process was. That was the emphasis of the kingdom that he had for his followers. And I like how as Jesus is leaving the earth to go return to the Father, he's now calling his disciples to leave their comfort and go and care. Now, what does it mean into all the world? I like the passage in Acts because it really gives us a framework for what that looks like. What does he tell these guys? He says, start in Jerusalem. Start in your hometown. Start, and then you move out to Samaria, which was a mix between Jewish culture and Gentile culture, right? So like, they're sort of on the same page. And then Judea, which is the surrounding areas, and then the end of the earth. I think this is important because for us, as we are on mission to image and reflect Jesus, to communicate Jesus, it starts with the people closest in proximity to us. It start, starts at the center of our culture. Often for many of us, that's our family, right? Our immediate family, like our, our nuclear family, our immediate family. Like mission, especially as parents, begins in the home. It begins with our children. It begins in our marriage. It, that's where mission begins. And then it moves to our neighbors, the people like next door, right? Or the people across the street or the people in our neighborhood, right? Like mission begins there. Like that's where ultimately, like our heart, what we want to see big picture at Christ Community is we want to see Jesus' church flourish in every neighborhood of our city. So that's going to start with me and you and the person next to you, us being on mission in our neighborhood, reflecting and imaging the church, which is followers of Jesus, right? It's not a building, it's us. We are the church, right? And so it begins there. And then maybe it's how do we impact our city? How do we impact our neighborhood? How do we impact our city? Then it's like, how do we impact southern Utah? And how do we, then what's next? I don't know, Cedar City. They're sort of southern Utah, but like, you know, they're a little cedar and mesquites like well you know but that's next right like that's where we're going i mean our heart is to be a, a disciple making church a church planning church and i my big vision is like man this whole region we need churches in cedar we need churches in hurricane we need churches in ivans we need churches that are imaging and communicating jesus and that begins with us caring for our family well and our neighbors well and moving out for that space we are all being called to be on mission on god's mission of, of communicating Jesus and sharing the gospel. And so he says, go into all the world, and he says, make disciples. And this is where we're going to literally spend the rest of our time because I think discipleship so often is very intimidating to the average person because it feels, we've seen it done so many different ways. Like, what does that even mean? Right? What is, make a, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? How do I make a disciple? Like, it kind of, kind of, kind of has, a, sometimes has a weird vibe about it. Like, hey, I'm going to make a disciple. Like, you know, like, there, it's, I think it's been done well in some places. I think it's done poorly in others. I think, so let's flesh out, unpack the idea of discipleship. First off, what is a disciple? Basically, basic definition is a learner, a follower, a learner. Um, that's, that's the idea. And where we get it, as we're looking at Scripture and understanding this is a, a cultural book written at a specific time and place in history, 
we need to understand what a disciple was as the authors were writing this. So what would happen is, if you're a young Jewish person, usually men, um, and you would, you would kind of go to school, but you, you would, there would be maybe a direction of Judaism that you wanted to understand or wanted to know, or, or that you were kind of like kind of a, a denomination sort of. And so you'd find there would be rabbis, and if you were smart enough and good enough, these rabbis would accept you into their, their teaching program, their school essentially, but it would be a life of just like following and listening to their rabbi. And you would learn from the rabbi, and um, it wasn't for everyone. You kind of had to earn it. And so you'd kind of, I follow so-and-so rabbi. Like Paul, if we're, Apostle Paul, if we're reading through scripture, he was under Gamaliel, who was one of the most like, amazing, like, renowned rabbis at the time. Like, it'd be like getting into Harvard or something. Like, only the select best get that guy. So he was his disciple. That was what his view of the world was through this rabbi. And so a disciple was a follower, ultimately, of a rabbi and that's kind of the idea of what was going on. And so you'd follow the rabbi, you'd do meals with the rabbi. Like There was a lot of life on life. You just observed and listened and participated in whatever the rabbi was doing. And so Jesus came and he functioned the same way. That's why often many of his followers called him rabbi. Because he was functioning in that same methodology of teaching and communicating and imaging what this life looks like. And so that kind of gives us a picture of what is going on. But let's look at what discipleship is. If we were to read, I don't have time to read every single verse in these passages, but John 6, 66, you see that there were followers of Jesus called disciples that didn't believe him. They weren't believers. They had not trusted Jesus, but they were referred to as disciples. And so I would say, first thing, discipleship begins before belief. The idea of beginning to follow a rabbi or following Jesus, it begins sometimes for people before they come to trust him. And that is okay. That is okay. Like, as a church, we want to be a space for you to come and wrestle with, do I even want to follow this guy? I get that many people have had really poor experiences with Christianity. They've been hurt, wounded. They've seen it done very poorly. And you're like, I don't even know. I've had so many conversations like, I, I'm so over church a lot of times, but man, I miss Jesus. Like, come, let's introduce you to him. You may want to follow him, but that's beginning the discipleship process. You're, you're learning from the rabbi. Like, maybe, how does he function in this way? What is he teaching here? Do I want to follow? Like, that's good. And for others of us, we've come to trust and follow Jesus. We're disciples of his. But either way, discipleship can begin before people believe and trust Jesus. Another aspect of discipleship and being a follower, ultimately, of Jesus is that it involves repentance. Now, that's a really scary word. Let me just talk about it real quick. Luke 24, 45 to 47, is talking about Jesus, says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations starting in Jerusalem. This is in the same context of him talking about him leaving, right? So it, it He's basically saying, as you're going and being my witnesses, you're communicating my life and my death and my resurrection, but also we're calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Now, repentance is almost always referred to as an acknowledgement and an acknowledging bad, right? You bet, like you did bad, you need to repent. And there's an element of that that's, uh, yeah, that's true. But 
it's just a way of like, it, it's a way of, of shame and feeling sorry, and sometimes that's involved. But the word repentance ultimately means a reversal of the mind. That's what it technically means. It's this idea that I'm changing my mind. That's all that repentance really means, is change of mind. When it comes to a spiritual context, it's the idea of turning from what I believed and trusted and was pursuing and turning to something else. As a follower of Jesus or as somebody that's being a disciple of Jesus, that means it's turning to Jesus, but we can repent and turn to something else. We can change our mind and turn to something else. And so what we see as a follower of Jesus is that we're being called to trust and believe Jesus rather than something that we previously have been trusting or believing or, or, or putting our faith in, right? Now, I would say that when it comes to discipleship, it, I, would label, I would call repentance any movement towards God, right? This idea that if I'm going after this or I'm going here, like even a turn, like, and so therefore repentance is a lifelong process. It's this constant process of me remembering that I don't have to trust this. I don't have to believe this lie. I don't have to prove myself. I can, I am fully approved in Christ. Like it is this reminder, this constant movement back to Jesus. It's going, it's any movement towards Jesus because I think the, the fundamental default of the human heart is to run and hide from God. Like it, it just is. Like there's moments where we have this nearness to the Father that is beautiful and lovely, but so often it's like, ugh, right? And it's this pulling away. It's this shame posture, right? And I would say repentance is, this, is a beautiful and it's a good thing because it's this movement towards God. It's remembering that I can trust him. It's, it's trusting his promises. It's going, I wasn't believing this. I can, I'm moving towards you. I'm, because God is always in the process of moving towards us. It's not like God's like, better move towards me. You just screw up again. Once you make one step forward, I'm gonna step towards you. No, God is like, come to me. Come to me. And, and so that is the idea of repentance. But I like how Jesus included in there repentance and forgiveness of sins, this thing that's being communicated in this discipleship process. I say this all the time, and I can, we never can say it enough, is Jesus is the only one that makes us right with God. The only reason I'm right with God is because Jesus lived the life I am unable to live, that perfect, flawless life, and Jesus is the, it died on the cross for my sins. I am forgiven. I am forgiven because of Jesus. And the reason why that is important to remember is because often I want to work things off. I want to make it right. I want to pay God back, right? And so we function in a way where we're, we're trying to make it right and, and like, well, I screw up here, so I better do all this good over here, right? And, and, and we remind, like, no, you were, you were fully loved and fully accepted by the Father only because of Jesus, and that is it. There's something very freeing about that, and the more we function in that space, we're able to respond with new desires, with obedience, with holiness, whatever it may be, because it's coming from a place of fullness, not of emptiness. I'm coming from a place of not trying to work off my sin, but trusting the one that is paid for it fully. And so with that is repentance, but in a beautiful, good way, not in like, you better repent. Christians repent. And it's good that the longer we walk with Jesus, my prayer is that I repent well and often. Well and often. Because here's the reality. If we reduce repentance only to behavior, 
I got bad news for you. Wait till you start studying your motives or your desires or, or why, why do I do what I do? Oh my goodness. Then it gets real dark real fast, right? Because then you could fall under so much shame and so much guilt because like, I'm, am I even doing good things for the right reasons? Like, There has to be a space where we're resting in the finished work of Jesus and that frees us to walk in boldness and in freedom. And so as we continue on, what else do we see about discipleship? And I would say this one is discipleship involves more than knowledge. Okay, so the reason why I think this is important is the church culture I came from is that discipleship was a class. It was information and it was knowledge. So you start out with a class, which is important, right? The basic Christianity, we need that. That's, I'm not knocking that. It's more than knowledge. I'm saying it's not knowledge. I'm saying it's more than knowledge, right? And that mentality continued as you grew with Jesus. So if you were struggling, then we probably should read a Bible verse that talked about what you're struggling with. And if you're struggling with your marriage, we probably should read Ephesians, right? Because talk about husbands love your wife because your marriage is struggling not because you don't know you're not supposed to love your wife, right? And it's not like, it was this idea that if you're struggling or if you're sinning or if you're not doing well, it must be because you don't know it. And I'm not trying to mock that mentality, but I'm like, I know I'm supposed to love my wife, man. She's not doing it well, right? Or wife's like, I know I'm supposed to honor my husband, but it's really hard right now. Like it's not a lack of information, Right? I, the Bible verse that you read, yes, I get God's word is living and powerful, but like, is that discipleship? Is that all that discipleship is? I would say no. Like, we do need knowledge. We're supposed to go in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so, with the idea it's more than knowledge, I would say that discipleship at its core is a growth in our worship of God. The reason why I say that is I believe that human beings at our core are worshipers. Our fundamental default function, how we function in this world at its core is worship. I would say that we are always worshiping one way or the other. It may not be God, but we're worshiping. We're pursuing things. We're placing our hope in things. We're trusting things. We're, we're, finding, we're finding beauty. And it, there's nothing wrong with some of it. Like, I think, you know, you go on a hike out in Zion and you look out and you just go, wow, awesome, right? Like, you're responding to beauty. Like, that's a form of worship. That's good, like, right? And ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we go, God, you created all this, right? It draws our eyes up. It's worship at our core. We are, we are worshipers. And I would say, which is a bummer because, not a bummer, that's good, but often worship is only reduced to singing songs in church, right? That, we, that it's just worship songs, which it is, but it's more than that. Worship, we can worship with our work. We can worship with our words. We're worshiping God right now with his word. We're trusting him in those things. Worship can be, like, we, we can worship in so many different ways other than just singing songs. Ultimately, I would say, we're trying to define it as worship is a response to beauty and greatness, to power. It's whatever causes us to experience awe. Like, when we're going like, that's awesome. Like, that's a form of our heart responding to something greater and more beautiful, more powerful than ourselves. Worshiping anything that, or someone or anything that captivates our thoughts and occupies our desires. It's where we rest our hope. 
It's something that we receive adoration, ultimate adoration, ultimate devotion, and ultimate sacrifice, something that we would be willing to sacrifice for. So we can worship possessions. We can worship people. We can worship power and position. We can worship reputation. We can worship how people, yeah, like how we want to be seen image. Those things we can pursue and sacrifice for and spend money for and just put all in in regards to identity and anything else. Like that can be worship. And so when it comes to the idea of discipleship, you know, and we're understanding that worship is ultimately the, the gaze of our heart to whatever we find beautiful, lovely, and powerful and awesome. Discipleship is learning and understanding how to respond to the goodness and glory of God. It's worshiping him more and more. And worshiping God is relational at its core. It's this idea that God has moved towards us in love and we're responding to his movement towards us in love by loving him in return and hopefully then loving our neighbor and our friends and everything else. Which is why the greatest commandment that, God, that Jesus gave, what's the greatest commandment? Love your Lord God with all your heart, soul, and might. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why that makes so much sense. It's because it's responding to being loved by God. That's one of our kind of core statements is that we are formed, we are changed, we are formed by God's love. And as we're formed by God's love, we respond by loving God in return and our neighbor more. And so the idea of worship is the idea of responding to God's love for us. And it's, I would say, as more and more we worship God, we are functioning more and more as God originally designed us to function, and that is worshiping him, which is ultimately what eternity is going to be, right? And so when it comes to discipleship, discipleship involves enjoying and worshiping God more and more as we turn from other things or people or whatever that has captivated our hearts. And that might involve knowledge in classes, but it's, it's so much more than that. Does that make sense? So uh, next we're going to look at discipleship takes place in relationship. Now, I've touched on this a little bit earlier, but the idea of the culture of the rabbi bringing the brightest and the greatest around and following the rabbi and doing life with the rabbi and, and kind of taking on this, this learning process, observing and imitating the rabbi, it was a very highly relational process. And eventually, the rabbi would have such an influence that the disciples would begin to imitate and look like and function like the rabbi, talk like the rabbi, mannerisms like the rabbi, and so Jesus was doing that with his disciples, and he's calling us in a lot of ways to do the same. It's the idea of tensionally living in relationship with other followers of Jesus. Practically, what does this look like? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, and he's writing, everything is in plural here. I, one of the things that I always would used to do is a lot more when I read the epistles, that I'd always read it through an individualistic lens, that it's just talking to me only, which that's okay, right? But this was written to a group of people. So everything he's saying is like, y'all, right? Whenever it says you, say, think of like y'all. Like we're in the South, it's like y'all do this, y'all do that, okay? So he's saying, verse 12, he says, Put on then, God's, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Right? So he's telling them, like, bear with one another. That sounds so, like, I think so often it's like, yeah, it's everything just like harmony and we're just doing awesome together. It's like, no, like, bear with one another. Like, they're going to wrong you. You need to forgive them. Like, it's not this perfect rose, like, puppy dog and, like, kitten situation going on, right? Like, we're human beings. And then he moves on and he says, 
If anyone has a complaint with another, forgiving one another as the Lord forgives you. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, which indeed you are called into one body and thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you all richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and singing uh, with hymns with thankfulness of heart. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we have this picture of mercy and patience and forgiveness and bearing with one another. And it's the idea that we're remembering and reminding one another of the good news of who God is and what he's done. And so when it comes to discipleship, it takes place in relationship, it's not just top down. What I mean by that, it's not just like find the pastor and then have him disciple you. It's saying like, you can disciple one another. Because what, we're, what discipleship is, is we're pointing people back to God. We're saying, he's awesome, follow him. He's doing great. Are we trusting him? What are we not trusting about God? We can do that in together, and we're doing that in community. We're doing that in relationship. It's reminding us, each other, that God is good, and that God is glorious, and that God is great, that God is gracious, that, that I don't have to prove myself to him, that I don't have to um, do everything on my own, that I don't have to pretend, like, that it, it frees us up. It's redirecting the focus and the struggles, from, from the struggles and, and, and failures and, and challenges in all of our life, and we're turning people back and reminding one another that you, there's a God that loves you, and he's pursuing you, and he's involved in your life. And I, I think it's important to understand discipleship in that way. It's this constant reminding people of who God is and what he's done, because we often forget. And it's easy for us to have our focus often be on ourselves. That's just, I mean, we're just human beings. Like, we do that, right? And so, like, no, like, God is at work. God is working. He is near. God is not absent, right? We're reminding one another and, cause, and working to remember that God is at work. So that if, even if it's just for a moment, we might stand in awe of him. And that worship starts just kind of bubbling up a little bit, right? We start bearing in mind, and our heart just kind of feels, just getting a little warmer to his love and his kindness. It's really demonstrating, at the end of the day, discipleship is demonstrating the gospel to one another and to those that don't know Jesus. We're, we're reflecting, we're imaging God, we're demonstrating the gospel to one another. And I know that at the end of the day, what that looks like is forgiveness is happening, love, generosity, grace, mercy, patience. And it's, it's enjoying, when that's taking place, we, we're all able to enjoy and experience the good news of who God is and what he's done. And so when I'm in a situation where it's, it's limited and challenging and all this stuff, I can still be known by somebody else, still be known and loved. I don't have to do it alone. Or when, um, because of the gospel, and the, because I'm, my identity is fixed in Jesus, because I'm forgiven of my sins, because my righteousness has been Je- imputed to me by Jesus, like I'm, giving, I'm accepted by the Father, I don't have to hide when I'm weak or struggling. I can be real and be like, I'm not doing well. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time believing this. I'm having a hard time trusting this. And other followers of Jesus can come alongside and say, man, me too. But like, this is what God's word says, or this is what I've understood about God, and I can trust him. And it's good. Although I come from areas of struggle or brokenness or distortion, I can still 
experience God's presence through others. We are the body of Christ, the physical, tangible manifestation of Jesus in the world is us. And so we can experience the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, whatever it may be, through one another, through each other. And that's how God designed it to work. And so with that understanding, discipleship then is not just done by leaders. It's done by all of us. Discipleship is done by every single person that's a follower of Jesus. And it's not this idea of like, well, I don't know enough or I don't know what to say. We have the Holy Spirit and he calls them to just be a witness. Witness is just telling what they've seen and heard. That's all it is, right? It reminds me of the man born blind in John chapter 9 where they're saying like, well, how are you made well and, and who did this? And how? he's like, I don't know, man. All I know was I was blind and now I see, right? Sometimes it's simple as that. You go like, I don't know, like, I was this gnarly, like, I was way over here, and then something happened, and I'm changed. It was Jesus. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it works. But, like, that's simply being a witness of what God has done in your life. We're just talking from experience. When it comes to the church, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, kind of gives this idea that it's not just leaders, Right? And it says that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, right? Those are kind of leadership positions in church. The purpose was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up the body of Christ. The work of the ministry, ultimately the discipleship, is the saints doing that. And leaders are trying to go like, how do we equip people to be better disciple makers? To make disciples. Because at the end of the day, good disciple makers make disciples that make disciples. That's what we want, right? It's not like, you, like I'm the only way you're going to get that or somebody else, right? We're all able to make disciples. Another thing that's really cool about this is that when it comes to everyone doing that, um, it doesn't, there's not a set, there's not like a set way of going about it. A lot of times you're able to function in your own comforts, like how you communicate and how you do life. But the best way to start is just bringing people into your life. Maybe it's just one person, like I don't have a lot of time. Right? I'm a mom, and I got a bunch of little kids running around. Like, but I have this other mom that also has a bunch of kids running around, and we just can like, hang out. We can build that relationship. It's relational. It's starting there. Right? Or maybe it's figuring out ways, like, like I always go to Costco on whatever day, and like, I can bring somebody along with me. A good friend of mine came last week, and he has been absolutely instrumental in this church even coming about. His name is Matthew, and he's a guy with a really long beard. But he came down here last week because he had to pick something up and he wanted to see me. And so what did he do? He brought somebody with him. It's just like he had a three-hour drive. So that's an opportunity to include somebody in life, my life, right? Um, so yeah, that's kind of the idea when it comes to, it's not just leaders. Let me close it up with this. At the end of the day, discipleship is about being made more like Jesus. It's about being made more like Jesus. Here's the reality. We're all, in a sense, making disciples. may not be of Jesus, but we make followers. It could be of us. It could be of BYU football. I don't know. Like, it could be, right? We're always making disciples. But at the end of the day, the goal of discipleship is not that you would be made more like whatever the culture of Christ's community is or of what I think, but that you're being made more in the image of Jesus. 
And our goal as we're bringing people into our life is that we're pointing people to Jesus so that they can be made like him too. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Rather speaking truth and love, we're to grow up in every way into him, talking about Jesus, whom the whole body is joined together and held together, every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As a disciple of a rabbi begins to image and imitate the rabbi, so followers of Jesus will begin to image and imitate him. As I experience God's love for me, I am able then to pass that love on, love others, so that they can experience God's love for me. We are always, like I said, discipling somebody. And, and I bring this, the verse I'm about to read in 1 John, I bring it, I mean, you might have it memorized by now, because I, I bring it up all the time, because it's just that awesome. But it really talks about this idea of being made more like Jesus. 1 John chapter 3 is one of my favorite, I don't even need to read it, I'll just tell you what it says. When it com- I, I know there's an element where sometimes this is hard, right? When it comes to going like, well, I want to be made more like Jesus, but I feel like I'm just struggling, or I want to participate in this, but I feel like I'm caught, like I'm not there yet, right? And I think John chapter 3, verse, what is it, 2 through 3 says this. It, it talks about this. It says, beloved, we are children of God now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. It, it, John is agreeing with you that, yes, I am changed, and I know that, but what I'm meant to be or what I'm supposed to turn out like isn't there yet. I'm caught between the already and the not yet. Like, I'm not done yet, and that sometimes is frustrating, and it's hard to go, well, then how am I supposed to bring other people into this space if I feel like I'm still a mess? I think Paul's recognizing that tension between the already and the not yet. But it says that when he appears, talking about Jesus, we will see him as he is, and we will be made like him. And I think that is so beautiful because if we look at just what a day in and day out life as a follower of Jesus is, for me, it's the goal of if I can just trust and know Jesus a little bit more today than I did yesterday, I will be made just a little bit more like him. And John's saying that one day when we see him face to face, we're going to be completely changed. The thing that we're desiring to be made more like Jesus and be radically transformed is coming, but just not yet. And so we can trust that when I see him face to face, I'm going to be changed. But until that day, let, let just maybe me see Jesus a little bit more so I can be made a little bit more like you. And he closes out that verse in chapter 3 of 1 John chapter 3 saying, and he who has this hope, those of us that are hoping in that finished work that I will one day be made completely like Jesus. That hope, the trust that that he is going to finish the work that he began, he who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. That has a purifying effect. And I love that because it's the hope in the finished work of Christ that purifies us. Not necessarily all the effort and work that goes into it. It's because what's happening as we hope we're trusting more and more that Jesus is going to make us more and more like himself. That has a purifying work on our hearts. It changes us. And when we are trusting Jesus in that way, when we are hoping in him that way, we're able to encourage others to hope in him the same way, and it has a purifying effect on them as well. And together, we are made more and more like Jesus.